Hey, my name is Brian Golden. I'm the lead pastor of Centerpoint Church. And I just want to personally thank you for listening to our podcast. And I also want to invite you wherever you are around the country or in the Tampa Bay area to join our digital online campus at centerpointfl.org. And here's what you need to know. Our vision is to create an alternative to church as usual for all people. And all that means is, regardless of whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus, you're new to faith, you're investigating faith, or you don't even know what you believe, our goal is for you to feel like you belong, even if you never believe. And so thank you again for listening, and I hope today's message encourages you and helps you. A quick question, how many are going to the Y tonight? Yeah, and if you're like, why are you asking me? Uh, it's because tonight is summer celebration, if you didn't know about that yet. So just real quick plug, uh, we ran out the entire Campo family, YMCA. Uh, it's just our church tonight at 6 p.m. And so this is just, um, Paul talks about a lot in the New Testament, a fellowship among church, connection. So we do a lot for the community, but we want to make sure that we're providing um, opportunities where we can connect together. And there's not a lot of times where everybody, all services can be in one spot. So tonight's that night. We'd love for you to come. Even if you've come, like this is your first time, just show up um, or you, you know, you've been here forever and you can invite. In fact, we have like five families, uh, my wife and I coming, like our kids that our kids go to school with and our kids are so excited about it. So tonight at 6 p.m. just show up. There will be food truck on site, Kona ice, and just a great opportunity to connect and invite. Then second thing real quick before I dive in, next week my wife is preaching a one-part message and I'm super excited about that and so is a lady right over here. So I appreciate that. Um, but I, she, so she was telling me about a, just a bunch of readings she had been doing on a vacation we just did. And when, I, when she got to the end, of it, I was like, you need to preach that. So she is. Next week, it's called Take a Seat. And it's all, the, all about the unrealistic expectations and pressure on relationships, specifically friendships, that I think actually keep us in moving in that direction in healthy ways a lot of times. And so um, I think it's going to be incredible. Invite, be here next week for that. So with that said, we are in part three of this series called Heaven, What Nobody Told Us. And this series kind of builds, so if you weren't here, go to YouTube, any podcast capture, watch it, um, and kind of get caught up. But I love this quote from Levi Lusco. I read a book of his uh, several years ago, one of my favorite of all time. And he just says this, that there is in every single human being, this is just everybody, doesn't matter what your faith background is, in every single human being, there's an ache that you can't shake. Like there's a thing inside of you that just doesn't go away. And we have all experienced that. And we've talked some in this series, like you're walking through something and you just have that feeling inside of, it should be better than this. Like it shouldn't be like this. Whether it's maybe you're dealing with a divorce at 36, that's not how you saw us going down. It was in remission and I got a diagnosis and it's come back and you kind of shake your fist at God a little bit or why haven't you answered my prayer recently? Or you invested in a relationship that betrayed you and now you're trying to pick up the pieces of that um, it's fear, it's insecurity that you've had to walk through. It's like four generations, it feels like, of mental illness. And again, you didn't really even have any say in that at some level. It was just kind of handed to you. But all of those things in life with relationships and finances and your career, what your kid's struggling with, and you just look at that and go, that's not how it's supposed to be. That's not how life is supposed to go down. The thing inside of you that goes there has got to be more than this. Like, that's just a human thing. It is an ache you can't shake. And in fact, the writer of Ecclesiastes said, no, you're right, actually. 
God has actually placed eternity in every single human heart, which means you actually long to live your life forever the way you were created to live it which is this world at its best free of sin, like relationships without the, the dysfunction, the kids without the talking back to you, the, like, the career that like, is moving in the direction you want it to. You were actually created for that. We said um, in this series, and this is an important point, that actually the Garden of Eden was God's forever plan for humanity. Like all the way back in Genesis, God creates everything. The point of Genesis is that God created, not how God created, but he created everything. And he like sits back, puts his feet up, and he's like, it's all good. Like this is my vision for all of humanity, my vision for how I want people to live, my vision for how life should work. And it was a lot of what we know. It wasn't some ethereal, non-physical world. It was like God created work in the Garden of Eden before sin. It was art, it was creativity, it was relationships, it was nature, it was, it was all of these things that we kind of associate with life, but at a level of perfection that we can't even imagine. And so every time there's that thing in us that goes, man, no, like life shouldn't be this way, or as we've said, when things are working out really, really well, and you're like, why can't life be more like this? That's kind of a GPS in you going, this is not all there is, and that's actually what I was created for, and that was God's vision and plan in the Garden of Eden, and it's God's vision and plan for heaven. In fact, what we've said is heaven is gonna be a perfect Garden of Eden on this earth. Maybe you were taught in Sunday school that God's just gonna like scrap everything and start over, or you had some lame version of a non-physical, ethereal world where you're like, well, it's better than the alternative, but I'm not really looking forward to it. That's not what the scripture teaches, that actually eventually we'll end up back here, new heaven, new earth, a perfect world or garden of Eden with a lot of the things that you associate with body, physical, senses, eating burritos, maybe, beer, I don't know, like nature, animals, somebody's gonna be offended by that, like all the things that like, this is, this is what's good about life at its best, in perfection with God, that's actually what we've been created for in heaven. And God says in the scriptures, I'm not gonna do a do-over, actually I'm gonna redeem all things and I'm gonna fulfill my vision for all of creation. That's what's waiting for us. It is a knowable, tangible hope that something better is coming. But the thing that you can't deny though is while we wait, there's a void that's unavoidable. Like there is a void that's undeniable. If, if I were to put it in terms of like the Easter story, that's kind of a micro version of the macro level of all of humanity where Jesus dies, we believe um, physically on Friday. He's predicted the fact that three days later, Sunday, he's gonna rise from the dead, though most people missed it. And then on Saturday, there's the in-between where there is death, there's betrayal, there's this is not how life should be. We feel abandoned, things are hard. And there they are sitting in Saturday after the death of Jesus, waiting for resurrection on Sunday where everything is gonna be made new. But there's a void on Saturday waiting for what God has promised. And at some level, that's all of humanity. Like we're sitting in Saturday waiting for Sunday, but it's not here yet. And there is an undeniable, unavoidable void that there has got to be more to this life. And Solomon would say there is, God has said eternity in your heart. You desire what God created you for in the Garden of Eden. And one day God's gonna return you to that. But the question is, and this is what I, I couldn't do this series without answering this question. What do you do with the void? What do you do while you wait? What do you do with the undeniable ache you can't shake? Because everybody's gonna do something with that. In fact, generally what we do with that is we look to what is right in front of us, what is immediate or just what we know. Like all the common stuff, like accomplishment, 
more success, if I just get one more promotion, the sex was a little better, another relationship, maybe I can get my kids into that college. Like that thing that there's some other deal to chase, there's some other level that when I get there, it's somehow gonna make sense of some of life. And we chase that thing to fill the void that we feel of we were created for more. And some of you already know this, never works. In fact, again, author of of Ecclesiastes, I know this is a very uplifting message so far. Thanks for coming to church at the 11 a.m. Here's what what Solomon's like. Everything is meaningless under the sun. Have a good day. But what Solomon is saying is everybody feels a void. I felt it, you felt it, and and you're either gonna move in the direction of what you were created for ultimately, or you're gonna look to the things to your right and left to fill the void of your soul. And if you do, ultimately, it's meaningless. Not that like everything in this life is meaningless, but it is if you're trying to take that thing and use it to satisfy the ache of your soul. It just never works. Sex is never that good. The relationships are never that great. The accomplishment never lasts that long. And in fact, when those things feel the weight of your hope and your expectations, they become meaningless to you. Solomon's like, you were created for more. Everything is meaningless under the sun, but here's generally how we get deceived and to keep chasing it. We just think, well, yeah, I know it hasn't worked so far, but one more of what doesn't work will work. Like I've blown through seven relationships, number eight is gonna be it, right? Like I've got several you know, promotions, raises, I'm in a place I never thought I'd be, but man, it's not there, but one more is gonna get me there. But the reality is the answer is not more. The answer, or really the tension, is misdiagnosis. This is a probably a horrible example that I should have run by our team um, when I do message ideation because sometimes they'll stop me when they're like, you can't say that. So I didn't run this one by them, so we'll see. But um, it's a terrible story, but I think it somehow relates in terms of finding the root rather than misdiagnosing and going after the wrong thing. When my wife and I uh, were first married, we were in a little townhouse. We had our first kid, Brooke, and we had our second um, boy. And one of the things about young kids is like they pee all over stuff. Uh, right, anybody? All over. And my wife is a clean freak, like, so she's like, I mean, over the top in terms of how clean our house is, sanitized, you smell the bleach all the time, like, she's washing the sheets, um, and if you're into oils, I apologize, but like, she, what's wrong with me? All right, just stay focused. Um, and so there was this one point where there was just urine smell in our house. We couldn't figure it out. I mean, we had two toddlers, but like, where's this coming from? Did they pee on a rug that we weren't aware of? Did they, like, because they're always just peeing pee in weird places. So for a week, no joke, we're trying to figure out where is this coming from? What did we not wash? What wall did they pee on? Like, where, where is it coming from that there's just this urine is? And then one day, and this is no joke, I am walking up the stairs in our townhouse and I'm like... Like it it was stronger than I had um, experienced in a while. And I just lean onto the railing and I recognize that the, the place where this smell emanated from was the candles that Nicole was buying from the store that smelled like urine. I don't think, and I'm not gonna throw under the bus whether this is Target or Walmart, I don't really remember. And I don't think they titled it urine scented candle, but I'm telling you these, and we were ripping the house apart for a week going, where is this coming from? Where did they pee? Where do we have to shampoo the car? All the while, it was the 17 candles that Nicole lights in the house every single, we were just lighting up urine smells every single morning, had no idea where it was coming from. And that terrible example is my pivot to the fact that it is so easy to misdiagnose the problem. And in life, we think the issue's more 
The issue is not more where we think the desire that our soul feels or the ache that we can't shake is actually something that we can solve in this life. And so we always have this illusion. Well, once I get to the best version of me, I just haven't gotten there yet. Or once I get that thing, or once I get a little bit more together, that's gonna make sense of things. And it doesn't because the desire for more in this life cannot be solved in this life. There's no next thing. There's no other carrot to chase. There's no like once I get me put together, it's gonna make sense of things. The writer of the scripture, Solomon, and Jesus would come along to go, it's not gonna work. So what do you do with the void? What do you do with the desire for more? Because it's not going away, this side of heaven. Doesn't mean life is awful, but it just means there's constantly gonna be a reminder that you were created for more in this moment, this thing, this relationship, this pursuit is not all there is. Paul comes along and he says it this way and he addresses this exact problem and he writes it to a a group of, it's basically a village called Colossae in the first century and he says to them, because they were struggling with the same thing, like, is this it? Is this all there is? Look into the right and left, maybe we should pursue what everybody else is pursuing. And Paul comes and tells them or writes to them what exactly to do because they were tempted to do the same things that we do. And he writes all of this in the context of heaven, like this is the answer. This is the thing. And here's what he says in Colossians chapter three, verse one. Since you've been raised to new life in Christ, he's talking to followers of Jesus who have placed their trust, their faith in Jesus. And he says this, set your, what's the word? Set, let's take another run at that. (laughs) Set your, what, sights, and this is a big deal, on the realities of heaven. And I think it was more real to them than it was for us. In fact, I've said throughout this series, some of you are not more inspired and more moved, and this doesn't impact your life because you were given a version of heaven that doesn't exist. Like a non-ethereal, non-physical, what's better than the alternative, I'm gonna just trust God that God has something more. That was never what the scripture was rooted in. It was a knowable hope that when first century followers of Jesus who experienced things, we can't even imagine walking through persecution going, this is not all there is. There is a knowable hope. There is something better up ahead. And so Paul says, what you view heaven as and the reality of what heaven is will actually shape how you live your life on earth. So set your sights, your focus, your attention to the realities of heaven where God is at the right hand. And then he says this, and verse two, what's the first word? Let's give that one another run too. Verse two, and do what? Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. I mean, just real quick, just to kind of get us all on the same page. Like when was the last time you did that? Like when was the last time you walked through anything and that was actually a part of, of your thinking, your attention, that like, it's hard right now to be faithful, or this doesn't make sense, or I'm maintaining my integrity. They, they let go of it a long time ago and they seem to be prospering, or I'm walking through this thing where I can't connect the dots. God hasn't answered my prayer in three years. And there is something that in you that triggers you to go, no, there, there is a reality of heaven. I'm gonna think about the fact that this moment, maybe what I'm tempted to do to self-medicate in this moment, it's not worth it. I was created for more. I'm not gonna move in that direction. Like when was the last time that was even a part of our thinking? Like this teaching lost front and center with the church a long time ago, but the reality is what you think about heaven and how real it is actually impacts how you live your life, conduct your relationships, prioritize your time. It is a big deal. And what he's saying is not don't enjoy this life. This life has been created to enjoy. I mean, as much as you can, enjoy it. 
Not don't live this life. In fact, you've been called to live this life to the full. But what Paul is saying is there's gonna come a point where you feel the tension. I mean, if you're in a place right now, you're like, oh, life is amazing. Just wait. It's not always amazing. And he's going, there's gonna come a point where you're, you're gonna feel that tension of there's got to be more. And for some of you, you've never attributed that feeling to God. That is the marks of God in you. There is more. And in that tension, you're either gonna look around or you're gonna look up. And Paul's going, I want you to look up. I want you to think about the realities of heaven for you died to this life, meaning you have died if you're in Christ. And if you're not, you don't have to do anything that I'm talking about. You never signed your name to following Jesus. But if you're a follower of Jesus, you have literally died to try to squeeze everything you can out of this life because this is not all there is. You died to this life and your real life, let me just camp on this for a second, is what? Is hidden with Christ in God. Let me just real quick, and I'll, I'll start to tie this all together in a few minutes. This is amazing. Like, this is the good news. This is the, it seems too, too good to be true, but it's the gospel. That your life, the moment you place your faith and trust in Jesus is hidden with Christ. The scripture teaches when you recognize you can't earn your way to God, you can't clean yourself up, you're not gonna make yourself acceptable. Like there's a standard of perfection. You're never gonna reach that. That's Jesus and there's everybody else. We're all in the same category and we're never gonna get there. And instead he came to earth, lived a perfect life we couldn't, died the death we should have died for our sin, past, present, and future. And I believe historically rose from the dead. If you're a skeptic, that's where to start. And now when we place our faith and trust in what Jesus did for us, for our sin and dysfunction, the scripture says that Jesus in that moment gives you forgiveness and then gives you brand new life. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. And what that means is when God the Father looks at you, he doesn't see you, he doesn't see your screw ups, he doesn't see your past, he doesn't see the secrets that you continue to carry. He sees the perfection and the performance of Jesus over your life so that one day when you get to heaven, you are gonna stand before God, he's gonna go, you earned, you were successful, you completed, you're my child, you're my son, you're my daughter, you're amazing, you're gonna go, I was none of those things, He's like, no, no, I know. But Jesus was for you and now your life is hidden with Christ in God so that when God the Father sees you on the basis of what Jesus has done, he sees Jesus. He doesn't see your jacked up life. That is the good news of the gospel. You're never gonna earn it. You're never gonna be good enough for it. God has given it to you through Christ. And now one day the world will have this revealed to them and share in his glory i.e. street level, you're gonna get all the benefits of his life, all those benefits you get, all that Jesus deserved that you don't deserve and I don't deserve, you're gonna get, including heaven. And then in verse 11, he skips down and he kind of summarizes this whole section like this. For Christ, this should be the epicenter of every follower of Jesus' life. This should be the epicenter of the church. For Christ is all that matters. And he lives, I love this little, little phrase, he lives in all of us. And this may seem weird and ethereal, but the moment you place your faith and trust in Christ, the scripture says the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, like indwells you, lives in you. Paul and other writings would say that literally the spirit of God is a down payment for heaven. So that when you get to that point where you think maybe I'm just too jacked up and I've, you know, I've trusted Christ, but now I've gone too far, somehow God's gonna disown me. God can't disown you any more than he can disown himself because you have the spirit of God taking up residence in you and he's not leaving it is a down payment for heaven. It is God in you. It's the spirit of God in you, which literally means that God has brought heaven to your heart, to your life. And as you begin 
Paul's point, to live according to follow Jesus, to live according to the spirit of God in you. Literally, you begin to live according to the forever life that God has created you for because you have the marks of eternity, the marks of God inside of you. And eternal life doesn't begin in heaven. Eternal life actually begins the moment you receive the gift to follow Jesus. And Paul says, okay, so, so how do you do that? You set your sights on the reality of heaven. You fix your, your heart, your life on, I'm gonna follow God. And every time I feel these desires in my soul, there's gotta be more. This isn't how there is. The ache that I can't shake, that is not gonna be solved in this life. That is not gonna be solved with what is around me. And I'm either gonna feel the void and recognize that ultimately that's actually a cue that I have been created for more life, enjoyment, peace in Jesus, or I'm going to try to fill that with everything meaningless under the sun, and I'm going to misdiagnose the problem. So then Paul says this, so here's what he tells us to do. But put to death the sinful earthly, I love how he says this, things lurking within you. Have nothing to do, and he's in, in, in purposefully vague in general, because this is just the stuff we tend, like this was the stuff that Colossae in the first century was tempted to go after, the stuff we're tempted to go after in 2023. Sexual immorality, that's huge, broad, it can mean a million things, impurity, lust, evil desires. And you're like, well, I don't think those are there. Hmm. I give you one example. Then there's every once in a while where you celebrate the failure of somebody else. Not an enemy, like your friend. Like you celebrate their failure, that thing inside of you. Like I'm celebrating their failure. You're like, what is that? I don't know what you call that, but I, you're a little evil. Evil desires. <laughs> It's in there. Don't be greedy for a greedy person's idolatry, putting yourself above everybody else. And I love this last thing. Worshiping the things of this world, which everybody's smart enough to know. He's not talking about taking little graven images and bowing. To, he's talking about anything that God created can be distorted. This is not, I'll get to this in a minute, don't enjoy life, somehow demonize the natural. That happened with Gnosticism a long time ago. There's still remnants of that in the church. That's not, that's not what we're talking about. But anything God created can be distorted. Like your marriage, which is a good gift of God if you are married, can become a search for somebody else to complete you. Sex can, can be this desire to somehow fill the longings of your soul and it's not gonna happen. Like your kids, which is an incredible gift if God has, has called you to that, of leading them and loving them and raising them suddenly can become a search for your identity. Like success, good gift from God, he's placed that in, you shouldn't deny that, can all of a sudden be this pursuit of accomplishment at the expense of other people in my life. Like good wine, enjoying friends can become alcoholism or perversion. I mean, every good gift that God created is destroyed. Sex isn't wrong, accomplishment isn't wrong, your kids aren't wrong, your marriage isn't wrong, your friendships aren't wrong, but anything can be distorted. And here's a litmus test. Here's how you know you've begun to move to the place of worshiping and looking to the right and left to fill the of what only can be filled by God. You are willing to say no to God to get or maintain those things. And in that moment, it becomes an idol. In that moment, it becomes a surrogate savior. Like here's the reality, my wife is amazing. She's never fulfilling the longings of my soul. Your husband, he's just a dude. Like there, there's nobody that can bear the weight of that hope or those expectations, but we misdiagnose to think that the void is a desire for more of what this life can give us, and it's not. It's just a reminder you were created for more. 
To quote Tim Keller, what will happen is you'll use, rather than using things to get to God to go, these are good, but this isn't all there is, you'll start to use God to get things. So then Paul says this, verse eight, but now is the time to get rid of, I almost feel like he changes subjects, but get rid of anger, rage, like we went to another level, malicious behavior, slander, and then I love how he threw it, and dirty language, whatever that is. But what's interesting is that what he just kind of rattles off are usually the emotions that we're left with when we're chasing our own desires at the expense of God and that we feel the ache we can't shake, the void that is unavoidable, and suddenly we start to look at things around us and we chase it, and it didn't deliver, and now we're left with a bigger void. And generally, you know this, people who are angry are angry at themselves. People who are disappointed with everybody, nobody can do enough, are disappointed in themselves because you end up with a bigger void than you started with, because the only thing more depressing than not reaching your dream is reaching your dream and recognizing it was nothing as far as what you thought it would be. And now you're disillusioned with life. And so Paul's like, let me give you the contrast. This is how you fill, or this is how you approach the void. And honestly, what Paul writes next, I always like to come at scripture from the standpoint, you're like, are you serious? Like, this is what I would expect. I need something more practical. This doesn't really work in the real world, and this is not gonna fill what you're talking about, but here's what Paul says, verse 12. Clothe yourselves with what? I know, you view it the way you just said it. Like, uh, I don't, <laughs> seriously. Uh, kindness, what's the next one? Humility, gentleness. Okay. I wasn't gonna have you go to the end, but I love the initiative. Verse 13, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. And, and what Paul's saying, and we'll, we'll tie it in in a second, is, is listen, if you've watched anybody who's lived their life where they're just chasing the next thing, this is ultimately what you give up and you're left with a bigger void. And then he says, and remember that the Lord forgave you in terms of forgive one another's faults, so you must forgive others because at the epicenter of the movement of the church following Jesus, like this is it. I mean, just side note, this is, this is why people should be so attracted to the message of Jesus, all to the message of heaven, the fact that there's more is how we live. Like you do this, it's the most countercultural thing in the world. But then he ties it together and he says this, forgive each other as God forgave you. Verse 14, and above all, Clothe yourselves with what? Love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And here's why this is a big deal. Because when you chase the things of this life to feel the void that you feel in this life, you will always need something from somebody else. And you know that you can't use somebody and love them unconditionally at the same time. And as long as you're chasing of like, I've got to outdo, I've got to accomplish, I need somebody to praise me, I, mean, I need my wife to fulfill, I need my kids to get in so I feel like I did a good job, you will end up using people and are unable to love them unconditionally. And then in the process, here's what you forfeit, verse 15, and let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts for as members of one body, followers of Jesus, sons and daughters of God, you are called to do what? To live. <laughs> in peace. In peace. 
There you go, to live in peace, all right? I thought you had that verse memorized, but you don't. The thing that you forfeit in the process of looking to this life to fill the void of this life is your peace. And you know one of the things that's gonna characterize life with God in heaven as much as anything else? Peace. Because finally you will have ultimate and complete peace with God, which we have positionally in this moment, peace with yourself and peace with others. Perfect harmony. The Garden of Eden, this life at its best with perfect peace. But eternal life starts in this life. And Paul basically is making the point that what you do with the void and the ache will determine your level of peace. Like this is the thing that hangs in the balance. And as you begin to live according to following Jesus, the spirit of God in you, heaven, in your heart, this is the thing that you begin to experience. And this is the thing ultimately you give up. And so Paul would say this, when you feel the ache, when you feel the void, when you're tempted to look to your right and your left, I'm telling you, do not let anything undermine your peace. Like when you start to feel that thing and all of a sudden you're tempted to self-medicate, chase that thing, go after whatever, and it's not bad, it's just distorted. You're trying to get more from that thing or from him and her than they were designed to give you. It's like, listen, the thing that you are gonna forfeit and the thing that you're gonna give up is your peace. That's what hangs in the balance. And whether you recognize it or not, that's actually the thing you're chasing. Talk to 85-year-olds breathing their last breath, which I've done a number of times, and you look at their lives and the contrast of life, and they maybe die, and there's not much in the 401k, and there's not a lot of success in terms of what other people would measure, and they die with peace. And it is the goal. It's what you're after. It's what you're chasing, whether you know it or not, because you can have every accomplishment and relationship in the world, and if you don't have peace, it is meaningless. And Paul's like, don't do anything that's gonna undermine your peace because nothing you're chasing or giving into is worth the price of your peace. And believe it or not, you have an enemy who wants to steal, kill, and destroy. And the thing that he is after is to get you to sabotage your own peace, your own future, what he has for your life. And the enemy cannot take away your life in heaven. So he'll try to make your life on earth hell and leads you to a place where you forfeit ultimately what God has designed you for. But the moment you trust in Christ, eternal life begins, which means as you begin to submit to the spirit of God and recognize the things around you for what they are, that they actually propel you and lead you to go, there is more, but that more is ultimately gonna be found in life with God in heaven. The thing that you begin to experience through the power of the spirit of God and following Jesus is the peace that you were created for in all of eternity right now in this life. And many of you know this, either you're gonna live, your, live in such a way in contrary, I think, to the spirit of God and following Jesus that brings hell to this life, or you're gonna live in such a way that actually brings heaven to earth where you begin to live out what God ultimately has created as the rhythm for your life, which has not been a promise of pain-free, problem-free, but it is the promise of peace and life while you wait. That everybody is stuck in Saturday waiting for Sunday. In fact, he, he ends the section with this. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward and that the master you are serving is Christ. 
So I would just say identify the void because in a lot of cases, yeah, it's general. There's a macro level, like we just all feel it. But for a lot of you, it's personal. Like, where do you feel the void? Where have you been disappointed? Where is it not working out? Where you're like, God, I thought you were going to, like, what's the void? And then consider surrendering that area where you are most tempted to fill it without God. Or let me say it another way where you are most tempted to fill it and in the process, you're willing to say no to God to do it. I'm gonna misprioritize. I'm gonna shift my focus. I'm gonna do my thing. I'm not gonna be quite as whatever. I'm not, it's hard to remain faithful. Like what's the void and where are you tempted to say no to God in order to fill the ache that you can't shake? Because the issue for most of us is misdiagnosis. Like there is a desire in your soul for more to this life and your desire is for life with God in heaven. And so Paul says the only anecdote is to set your sights on the realities of heaven, the the ultimate vision of what God has created for your life. This life, perfection, peace, harmony at its best. C.S. Lewis said it this way. I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. And to put my hope in what will overpromise and underdeliver, every single one of those things has an expiration date and it will not fix what you feel. And you've watched this, man. You've watched people walk through the valley of the shadow of death with peace that is possible right now, not because their circumstances are working out, but they walk through the valley of the shadow of death and there seems to be a peace that surpasses all understanding, like a fearlessness in that. And mark it down. Like I, I, I was parented by two people who did this. And I, I don't like to get too personal because everybody's got their story and my story really isn't unique, but I saw them walk through the death of my brother when I was 17 years old. I walked my dad and my mom walk through a multi-year journey through Alzheimer's. And I watched in awe of them exhibit a peace that surpassed all understanding. And their circumstances weren't amazing, but their hope was that this is not all there is. And there is an expiration date and one day it'll all bow down to a resurrected savior. And there is purpose in all of it and God will do something with it. And when you get this, I'm just telling you, you will live your life, even with the disappointment which is coming with a sense of divine destiny that something's coming. And there is something to look forward to. And in this moment, as hard as it is to see right now, it is brief. So I will not be anchored and shackled to this world. Let me say it to you this way and then I'll close. I saw this about 13 years ago by a guy by the name of um, Francis Chan. And pretend this rope, I, I had it much longer and I was like, that's too big to carry on stage. But pretend this rope is like the timeline of your life. And so it doesn't um, end there. And this thing needs to be unwound because I'm just not gonna be able to handle that. Uh, there you go. That goes to Jared. It doesn't end there, it just keeps going. Like this is eternity. And I don't know if you believe this or not, you don't have to at all, but like we believe that everybody's gonna live forever somewhere. And the little like red, orangish line on this, like that represents our life. So if you could get like a mental picture, a timeline, like visually see your life, like this is it. This is going on forever, which kind of hurts my mind, but it's just, it's eternity. This is our life. And what Paul is so clear about throughout the entire New Testament is like, I just want you to see this. 
Like, th- this is small. This is little. Th- this is gonna be by in an instant. And when you begin to set your sights on the realities of heaven, there's a knowable hope. It's better. It's something to look forward to. This time is brief. And so what you do now in terms of looking to your sides or looking up is gonna matter for all of eternity. And come on, for some of us, it's like we are so rooted to this world. Like, let me just be real for a second. And you're not even, you're not even like obsessed with all of it. You're like, when I get to right here, it's gonna be amazing. You know what I'm talking about? Like, it's gonna be amazing. Like all of your time, all of your attention, all of your energy, you're not even living for that. You're just living for this, this little thing. And for some of you, you're gonna get there and get a gold watch, retire and die in a year. Happy Sunday. But it's like, are are you kidding? And Paul would say over and over again, you've been given a divine destiny. And we've said throughout this series, life, life is crazy, man, because what I don't want you to hear me saying is that life can't be beautiful because it is. Because everywhere you look, you will see the mark of God's design and purpose from the Garden of Eden. There is glimpses all the time of what God has created you for and where ultimately you're gonna end up. And then simultaneously, it can be incredibly difficult. But this is not all there is. And this is Paul's point. You have every reason to walk through hell on earth and it is hard and you're praying for God to remove it and you should. This is not all there is. And as we've said in this series, God actually has promised, I'm gonna reward you in proportion to your faithfulness and you walking through that hell that you hope God will take away. That day is coming, hold on. You're walking through disappointment you can't understand and God's answered all their prayers and he hasn't answered your prayers. This is not all there is, how crazy. Like we look at other people give their money away and spend all their time sacrificing their life for the church and making others more important thing. That's a little weird. No, 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 this is weird. In light of eternity, are you kidding me? Because if if you're a follower of Jesus, this is what we believe. This is what's coming. Are you kidding me? And so Paul would say, you have every reason to give your life away. You have every reason to maintain faith and hope when it sucks. You have every reason to not be so tethered to this world and to have the name of Jesus come off your lips a little more often to recognize there are people all around you and they're gonna live forever somewhere. And I am so obsessed with renovating my kitchen or you leasing another thing or your kids getting into that school or the next thing. And once I get that promotion, isn't it amazing? And isn't it shiny? All of those things are great. Enjoy them. That's a blip on the radar of what God's called us to. Let's pray for God to do something in our city, our community, our neighbors who are far from God. Give, sacrifice, give up your life, invest in what matters. None of that's crazy when your view is in line with what Paul said, that you have been given a divine destiny, a divine purpose. You are a son, you are a daughter of God and every single bit of it's gonna pay off. Every sacrifice will be rewarded. Every bit of pain that you endure in faith, God is going to bless you in proportion to that. Hold on, don't give up. Give your life away. Because you're gonna get a chance to do a lot of stuff in eternity. You get this to invest in it. So the author of Deuteronomy says, today you have set before you life and death. If you're in Christ, not that 
Not that spiritual death is even a realm of possibility. It just means the more you tend to, to side in distorting and using what God created as the termination of your worship rather than God himself, like sin's gonna reign and sin's gonna kill stuff in your life. So I set before you today, life and death, choose life. Like invest what I've created you to do for all of eternity. And when you do, it frees you up, just last note, to experience maximum enjoyment in this life because I'm not looking to this life to fulfill everything I got in me. And I'm telling you, when you do, and some of you, you're not gonna amen, but you know what I'm talking about. You are so exhausted, because this is it for you. If you're not successful, there's a level of pain in that that's hard to talk about. If it doesn't work out, there's a level of disappointment that just does something to your soul. If you don't get there the way you envisioned at 45, like there's something that just, it just leaves you empty. This isn't all there is. And when you understand that and live according to what Paul's talking about, there's a level of enjoyment in my wife, in this life. I just get to enjoy my wife as my wife. She's amazing. She will never complete all of my desires for love, acceptance, worth, security. She's not gonna be able to do that for me. I can enjoy whatever God's given us and, and the ways in which he's blessed us and go, that's incredible, that's amazing. Had an incredible weekend, good time with friends. That's awesome. That's never gonna fulfill a longing in my soul. So I can just enjoy it and actually moves something in me that creates a deeper level of worship to go, man, how good is this? Can you imagine what God has for us? It's a shadow of what's to come. My wife just gets to be my wife. She doesn't have to be my surrogate savior. My friends can just be my friends. They're not trying to complete me. My kids can just be my kids. They're off the rails sometimes. Sometimes they're amazing. My identity is not found in them. But gosh, I'm glad I get to raise them. I'm glad, I'm glad I get to be their dad. But it's a shadow of what's to come. So what's the void? Because it's personal to you, right? And where do you just need to surrender to go? Like th this is the area where I'm most prone to lean in to the other things around me, relationships, another thing, another, another achievement, another success, and I'm willing to say no to God in the process. And so I'm surrendering that now. Help me, God, to just affirm what is true. I have been created by God for life with God in heaven. So I'm gonna allow these things to be a reminder that I've been created for more, but I'm not gonna be led to worship them because the desire for more to this life is not gonna be solved in this life so Paul says, run your race well. It's short. Eternity is in front of you. Live like it. Surrender like it. Love like it. Take the pressure off like it. And follow me. Would you guys pray with me all over the house? Jesus, thank you for what you're doing in this moment. And I just pray that you would do what you are so capable of doing. There's a healthy sense of inadequacy every time you stand up and proclaim your word that is living and powerful. But what I'm banking on is the fact that my words are not living and powerful, your truth is. And so I pray that it would just move in spaces and places all over the place in terms of physically where people are, are at and in terms of where they're at in terms of their heart and what they need to hear right now. And so I pray that you would take this, that you would personalize it, and that you would move in a way that only you can. And for some of us, we need to lift our heads and be reminded of the reality of what's to come and fix our focus on heaven in a way that we've never done in our life. And it is not gonna solve any problem 
It's not gonna be emotionally satisfying in the moment, but it is the way to begin to move in the direction, to experience what ultimately you have created us for forever. And it doesn't have to start in heaven. You have brought heaven to our hearts through the spirit of God. And so whatever that looks like in terms of surrender, I pray you'd lead us to that place. Whatever we need to give up, I pray you'd lead us to that place. We pray all of this in Jesus' incredible name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this message or have been impacted by Centerpoint Church in any way, would you consider helping us out in one of two ways? First, if you would just spread the word, share this message with your friends, family. Maybe you could go rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast catcher, but this helps us so much more than you know. And secondly, this ministry is supported by people like you through their financial generosity. And so if you've been impacted by any of these messages, would you consider giving to support the mission and vision of Centerpoint to see people reach with the radical grace of Jesus? You can give today on our website at centerpointfl.org. And again, that's centerpointfl.org.